Hello one nuts and welcome to a holiday feast for the ears, shall we say, although that's maybe being a bit too generous about what we're about to talk about. What we are going to talk about, or really what I'm going to talk about and you guys get to just sit back and listen, are issues of the Thing series from Marvel in the 1980s. These are episodes of the Baxter Bungalow, which was a three-part sort of mini-series that I did for our Patreon supporters earlier this year. This is sort of the edited highlights, just cutting out the, the intros and the outros, but everything else is, is still there. And I am talking about really the issues of The Thing, written by John Byrne and later Mike Carlin, that tie in with the issues of Fantastic Four that we talked about on the Baxter Building podcast. Like I said, Patreon supporters have already heard this stuff, but because it's the beginning of the season of giving and goodwill, uh, we thought we'd share them with everyone else. In a way, this is actually the worst holiday treat ever, because... It's fair to say these aren't the best comics, and that's kind of putting it a little mildly. But you might have been curious about what Ben got up to on Battleworld after Secret Wars when he didn't come back with the rest of Fantastic Four, or even what he did after he got back to Earth and didn't rejoin the team. I'm going to get into that. Uh, Before that, I also talk about some other issues that tie into FF uh, of the thing but also of Alpha Flight and I think there's an X-Men issue or something in there as well. This was really just a way of sort of keeping the various storylines that we touched in Baxter Building, uh, keeping people up to date on them if they were not also following those titles. And let's face it, who would be? We were talking about comics from like 1983 at the time. Like I said, this is material that has previously been released to our Patreon supporters. Uh, We released these three episodes, which are now one longer episode, and occasionally some some other audio on the Patreon for supporters. If you'd like to find out more about our Patreon, uh, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. And just the way that I always say on the rest of the show, you can also find our website, which will have show notes for this up at waitwhatpodcast.com. We are on Twitter at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff, who is entirely absent for this episode, it's really just me, but Sorry, everyone. But Jeff can be found on Twitter at LazyBassett, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I can be found on Twitter at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Otherwise, I'm just going to shut up and let the me of the past talk for a bit. Oh, one last thing. Like I said, these were originally three episodes, and there's a very obvious break between the first and the second because I actually changed headsets in that time and the audio sounds massively different. And so I apologize for that discontinuity right now. Otherwise, hey, it's going to be me talking about Ben Grimm comics and that can't be too bad, right? Happy holidays, everyone. Hello, whatnots. Uh, Welcome to the first and maybe only episode of Baxter Bungalow in which I give you some information on some of the books that are sort of tying in with the Fantastic Four run that we're currently covering on the Baxter building. It's just me, there's no Jeff, and I'm just going to be quickly running through some plot points from these issues as opposed to really telling you what I think of them. Although for the most part, because they're John Burns thing issues, they're fun but of an acquired taste. I think that's a fair way of putting it. Anyway, the issues we're covering this time is Alpha Flight issue 4, Uncanny X-Men issue 167, The Thing issues 5, 6, 8, and 10, and kind of Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. But you guys all know what that one's like, right? 
So let's get started with Alpha Flight issue 4, Resolutions! Exclamation point. Uh, this is by John Byrne, who is writing, drawing, and inking. Uh, Rick Parker is the letterer, so it looks very much like an issue of Fantastic Four. It actually starts like an issue of Fantastic Four as well, because it starts with Sue Richards complaining to Namor that she has essentially been kidnapped out of, out of the Fantastic Four book. That's what happened at the end of 260 of Fantastic Four, you remember. The reason he has kidnapped her is so that he can... Kidnap, actually. I should. He didn't kidnap her. He just asked her to join him, and she said yes, even though she's theoretically looking for her missing husband and has just fought Doctor Doom and Terax. I don't know. Maybe it's some sort of superior code of ethics. Who can tell? Anyway, the issue starts with Sue giving Namor uh, kind of a hard time about why did you even invite me? What is going on? Why are we here? They're in the Arctic and they're looking for Marina who has been kidnapped by the Master. Another wonderfully named villain. Uh, this is around the same time that Burn is about to create a villain called the Messiah. So he's really not trying that hard anymore. They are assisted in their mission, although they don't actually realize it, by Alpha Flight, who obviously is also looking for Marina, Marina being a member of their team. This being relatively early in the book run, it's kind of before Burn has lost interest in Alpha Flight as a team, if that makes sense. There's a whole period uh, in the book where it's more about the rebuilding of the team than it is the team uh, dissolving. Uh, Burn, within about a year of doing the book, kind of gets bored of Alpha Flight as a concept and decides, ah, I'm going to pretend it's kind of a solo book for lots of really dull characters who used to be a team. This, however, still has the team working together, and they are in the base that Namor and the Invisible Woman are trying to break into. Uh, it's an underwater base because Namor and also Marina, and the reason that the Master has kidnapped Marina is that she has alien DNA. She is technically hatched from an alien egg. Uh, she was supposed to be a monster, but she is, was raised by kind, good people in a Superman-esque manner, and so became a superhero. He wants to take her DNA and make monsters, basically. She is saved by Alpha Flight, Sue Richards, and Namor working together. There's not even the obligatory, they all fight. They just meet and go, oh, we're all doing the same thing? Sure, let's just work together and free her. It's a very dull issue, it has to be said. Not uncommonly for Alpha Flight issues at this point. Uh, but it ends with Marina deciding, I'm going to hang out with Namor. He's more fun. He's an underwater dude like me. And Alpha Flight, you, you just go and go about your business. This leads to Marina being there with Namor and Sue at the start of Fantastic Four issue 261. You didn't really miss anything. I hate Sally, but that could be the title of the inevitable Alpha Flight collection one of these days. Alpha Flight Volume 1, You Didn't Really Miss Anything by John Byrne. Much more exciting is Uncanny X-Men 167. How can you tell that Chris Claremont is a more fun writer than John Byrne at this period? John Byrne comes up with titles like Resolutions. Chris Claremont comes up with a story called The Goldilocks Syndrome or Who's Been Sleeping in My Head, which, come on you guys, come on. On. This is the end of the Brood Saga, and for the most part, it's completely unrelated to Fantastic Four. The main part of the story is that the team are coming back from outer space to, they think, either rescue and or kill, they're not quite sure, Professor Xavier, who has been infested with Brood. 
the answer, spoilers, turns out to be both. He is so infested with brood that they have to kill him, but because of magical space science, they clone his body and he gets to keep going and walking and being a dick. Of particular interest, however, and we mentioned this in the Baxter Building episode, the end of the issue has Lalandra discovering that Reed Richards saved the life of Galactus, and getting kind of pissy about it, more or less going, what, but Galactus is going to eat people. This is terrible. I have to go and give him into trouble. So you get three-page sequence where Lalandra is not only upset, but she pretty much calls up Reed and Sue on the holographic phone and reason the riot act. This is really just, as I said in the episode, Claremont responding to Burns' storyline about Reed saving Galactus's life. But it, in the end, lays groundwork for the uh, two-parter search for Reed Richards and trial of Reed Richards in Fantastic Four 261 and 262. It's also, it's a fun interlude. It, it adds to the idea that the Marvel Universe is a connective universe, is something where everyone coexists. And also that not everyone is always on the same side, which is important as well. It's, it's really fun. It's a fun little interlude. It's a fun issue. It's in a pretty good era of X-Men. So, all told, I'd recommend it if you haven't already read the X-Men. But let's be honest, you probably have. Something you probably haven't read, unless you are completely old school, and um, is the early issues of the Thing solo series by John Byrne and Ron Wilson. Uh, issues 5 and 6 as I said on the podcast, are a follow-up to the Fantastic Four story with the Puppet Master and Doctor Doom. Issue 5 is called With Friends Like These. Issue 6 is called Mindscape. The setup of these issues is that Ben is spending a lot of time at the hospital with the healing Alicia, who is recovering from the Annihilus attack in the Fantastic Four title, and more often than not feeling guilty about the fact that she was put in such danger by being connected with Ben. He is definitely rethinking his relationship with her and also rethinking being in the Fantastic Four altogether. While he is doing this, while he leaves the hospital and is thinking this, he meets Wonder Man, who then attacks him, and then he also meets She-Hulk, who also attacks him. The reason for this is that they are both being controlled by the Puppet Master, who has come back from the seeming dead. What's going on with the Puppet Master this time is that even though his robot body was destroyed, he has basically become a psychic being who has possessed a puppet of himself made of his own magical clay. This allows him to transform the clay body that he's possessing into the likeness of anybody and therefore possess anybody kind of remotely. It's a little bit out there, but it's kind of a massive upgrade for the Puppet Master. Uh, the issue, sorry, issue five ends with him having given up on using Wonder Man and She-Hulk and instead turning into the form of the Thing, setting up issue six, the Mindscape issue, where Ben and the Puppet Master fight over control of his body. The Puppet Master explains his new MO. He explains that, of course, he's wanting revenge on the Fantastic Four because, of course, he wants revenge on the Fantastic Four and is equally, of course, defeated by Ben, who goes, ah, you're trying to get me, but really I'm the thing, it's clobbering time, I'm better than anyone else, hooray for me. It's a weird epilogue to what has been going on at this point with the Puppet Master, which has kind of been a weird running theme through Burns FF. As far as I remember, the Puppet Master doesn't show up again in the remainder of the, the Burn run of FF. 
So this is the strange sort of end of the Puppet Master story. Uh, it is a massive power upgrade for the Puppet Master, but it doesn't really do anything to really give any closure of the Puppet Master story. The Puppet Master is explicitly left at large at the end of the story. Presumably there were some attempts or there's some desire to follow up, but it doesn't happen here. One of the more interesting things about issue 5 in particular is the use of She-Hulk. She-Hulk gets a couple of pages to herself relaxing in the Avengers mansion and being bored by what she thinks is one of Hank Pym's old science books. She's the most, definitely the most fun character in the issue, but also the most human. You can tell that Byrne really enjoys using her, and he brings her back a few issues later. She appears again in uh, The Thing issue 8, which is again a setup of a two-part story. Her role in issue 8 is, again, to be the fun character, to be someone who not necessarily is the opposite of Ben, but definitely there's there's a a parallel with the fact that she like Ben, has been transformed from her old self into this muscle-bound monster, but she takes it better. She doesn't just take it better, she also enjoys it and finds pleasure in it in a way that Ben used to do. I mean, Ben has always been a, a somewhat tragic monster, but there was definitely a part, and it you know, maybe not so much in the Fantastic Four issues, but definitely in the Marvel 2-in-1 issues where he seemed to be comfortable in his skin, so to speak. And in fact, that's something that Byrne even sort of brought about or, or mentioned when he became the thing as we know him again early on in his run, that he was comfortable. That's being brought up again here in these issues, mostly as set up for the post-Secret Wars issues, where you're going to see that the thing is able to become Ben Grimm at will. But in issue 8, the She-Hulk sees that Ben is depressed after leaving the hospital from Alicia and takes him to a bar to try and lift his spirits. It doesn't work. She tries her best, but he is so down in the dumps that it, that it goes nowhere. The rest of the issue and the rest of the storyline is... Let's just skip over it. It has to do with Ben being again possessed by uh, an ancient Egyptian leader who who turns him into a more handsome Ben, which is kind of keying into stuff that's going to show up in the Secret Wars issue. But it, it's it's a throwaway story. It's a throwaway story that you would have read in Marvel 2 and 1 and thought, oh, so they're really, really trying to make something happen in these pages, I guess. It's not a good one. Thing number 10, however, is... Um, it's an interesting comic. It's called Marking Time, and there's an uncharitable reading that says that title is very on the nose. The issue is an extended conversation, a really lack of conversation, interrupted conversation between Ben and Alicia, who's been released from the hospital. And on the one hand, nothing happens. But on the other hand, a lot happens. This is the issue where Ben is clearly trying to break up with Alicia and telling her that he he can't be with her because he is a monster and he cannot give her what she wants. And he doesn't quite get there for a number of reasons. He is interrupted in the initial scenes where with the Central Park conversation by lots of kids who are like, it's a thing, Let, let's go and, and say hi to the thing. And he gets mad and, and destroys the statue and then decides, well, fuck it, I'm going to the Baxter building. And then when he goes to the Baxter building, the rest of the Fantastic Four are there and he can't do it there either. And when he 
finally get some privacy with Alicia. First of all, he gets interrupted by uh, remembering the Fantastic Four origin sequence because John Byrne loves to retell that story as often as humanly fucking possible. But then he gets interrupted by Reed, who wants them to go and investigate the Beyonder structure in Central Park. That, of course, when they do, they, they get kidnapped to Secret Wars, and so the conversation goes unsaid. That, of course, means that, of course, when they do, they get kidnapped to Secret Wars and the conversation goes unsaid. But it's clear throughout the entire issue that the Ben is is leading up to to something big, and Alicia knows it. it. It's very clear that Alicia is aware of what is about to happen. Uh, you see Ben saying things like, I've been using you for your crying title for a big pile of years, and lately, well, lately, it just don't seem like that's altogether fair. Lately, it seems like maybe you and me... And she says, Ben, you can't mean... I don't know what I mean, baby. He says, I love you. Love you with all my heart, you know that. But what kind of life can I offer you? We can't ever get married. At least, not in the way real people do. The most I can offer is our names on a piece of paper. Jeff somewhere is going, see? It's really talking about sex. And and it is. It, it's it's the, the climax, if you'll excuse the potential double entendre, of Ben's fragile masculinity, ironically. It's a, it's a very weird issue. It feels... It's a shame that it's happening in a Thing comic. Um, it feels like very much part of and the climax of a lot of what Burns has been doing with the Thing in the Fantastic Four comic. And yet it, it sort of gets shunted off here. Also weird that this is the issue where the FF get taken to Secret Wars. It's something else you think that should be happening in the Fantastic Four comic. And... and arguably belongs there, but it happens here. It's a sign, I think, that Byrne was really using Thing as a second Fantastic Four comic at this time. And as far as he is concerned, this is a Fantastic Four issue. It's on Marvel Unlimited, and I think people who are particularly interested in what is going on in FF at this point, and in Byrne's FF, and really following along with the Baxter building should really check it out. It's Byrne's melodrama turned up to 11. It, it very much is the people who have been upset by or bored by the melodrama element of burnt writing, the soap operatics, will just roll their eyes so hard they're going to fall out their head for this issue. But it's an important issue to the overall mythology. And that takes us, dear listeners, to Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. I don't have to summarize this, do I? I'm fairly sure all of you know this. If you don't, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars was a 12-issue miniseries created to help sell toys, but also so the gym shooter could show the rest of the Marvel creators how to make comics. Spoilers, it's a pretty book, but it's not necessarily a good book. I remember reading this as a kid and loving it, though, so it works for its target audience, which was like 10-year-old kids. The FF-specific part that's uh, important Two things. One, Johnny falls in love with uh, the alien healer and gets over her very quickly when she goes off with Colossus. Spoilers! Johnny is a bit of a dick when it comes to romantic relationships. This is going to end up feeding into the Alicia plot in Fantastic Four very soon. Thing number two, though, is that Ben leaves the team. Ben, as soon as he starts arriving on Battleworld, the uh, newly created planet that Beyonders created for Secret Wars, he can turn back into his Ben Grimm form. Initially, 
without any level of control, but he gets some level of control by the end of the series. And he decides, fuck it, I'm going to stay on this planet and, and try and find out why I can turn back and forth. And once I've figured out how to do that, I'll come back to Earth. This is going to lead into a little over a year's worth of stories for the Thing title that are going to go to fascinating, crazy-ass places and then eventually feed back into Fantastic Four for a very brief time. I'm probably going to do another one of these for the Thing issues because really, seriously, holy cow, the stuff that's in these issues is wacky as shit. And the explanation they come up with for why he can turn it into Ben Grimm again is also wacky shit. And the resolution of that, holy cow, you guys. But it's overall, you can pretty much skip it and use all the catch-ups that's in Fantastic Four. There's nothing wonderfully Fantastic four about it. And in fact, the lack of Sue kind of underscores that it's not a very good Fantastic Four story. So there you have it. Those are the various and many Marvel comics that the last 10 issues of Fantastic Four, or the most recent episode of Baxter Building, for that matter, tie into. I hope this helps. I hope you feel, oh, I feel that I really don't need to track down any of these comics now. Because you don't. Just, that's not true. The thing is you tend. The thing is you tend you should track down everything else. Feel free to skip. I read these comics so that you don't have to. I read these comics so that Jeff doesn't have to. That's that's how much I love you guys. <coughs> right, hang on, just had to clear my throat and also get around the fact that we're about to change audio and it sounds totally weird. And also, really, that's how much I love you guys. You're alright, I guess. Anyway, let's keep going with the second episode where I talked about Thing issues 11 through 23, or the Rocky Grimm Space Ranger issues. And I read these when I was a kid, but as you can tell as we go into it, uh, I, I apparently was had very bad taste back then. I read these comics when I was a kid, I, or a lot of the comics when I was a kid, and I remember really liking them. I am an idiot. These are not good comics. Let me just get that out of the way right now. As with the first Baxter Bungalow, this is where I talk about issues of the thing that tie in with the Fantastic Four run that we're reading for Baxter Building. You may or may not remember, because like I said, it happened some time ago, at the end of the thing issue 10, the Fantastic Four, or three of them, Reed Richards, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm, went off to Secret Wars. This sets up the membership change in Fantastic Four where Ben leaves the team and is replaced by She-Hulk, which is an exciting moment in the book. And and it really brings on a change for the book for about 30 issues. For the Thing series, it significantly changes the status quo because Ben goes from being a member of the team and on Earth to being... Uh, very, uh, it becomes a very much a solo book because he is the only character that you're following on Battleworld. This was apparently John Byrne's idea. This is apparently not something that was handed down from editorial or, or a Jim Shooter idea. This was something that Byrne asked Shooter to set up at the end of Secret Wars. He thought it would revitalize both Fantastic Four and The Thing and give The Thing book kind of more of a reason to exist from what I've read. And it's, as an idea, it's actually a great idea. Ben is a very affable character. He's a character that you can use in many different situations. And because, you know, years of Marvel 2 and 1 had shown that you can stick Ben into almost every situation. And he works. There, there's something about him that means he can work in a number of different types of stories. So if you're looking to do a, a book that is essentially 
crazy adventures in space where nothing is certain. He's a great lead for that book. He's a great center for that book. And so the idea of the series or the storyline that was called Rocky Grimm Space Ranger, that's really the, the name of the story. The idea behind this story uh, that Ben becomes the point of view character for just weird, crazy space shit is great. The problem being the execution. <laughs> it's fair to say that these comics are surprisingly dull. Not just bad, not just dull, but dull in a way that you can't quite believe it is this dull. Jeff and I have talked on Wait What and on Baxter Building about just how bad Alpha Flight is when John Byrne's writing it. And it's the Alpha Flight Byrne that's writing these books. I should say Byrne is not the only writer for this. Uh, Byrne actually leaves the book three issues in to Rocky Grimm's Space Ranger and comes back, I think, three issues from the end. The middle part is written by Mike Carlin with Bob Harris uh, scripting an issue in there as well. Carlin's issues are, are by far the most interesting and the most fun. I'm not quite sure if Byrne set out to do what Byrne ends up doing on the book, but this <laughs> the end of these issues is is Byrne at his psychoanalytic worst. It's it's really not good. There's a sort of setup in issues uh, 11, 12, and 13, and there's a denouement. It happens in issue uh, 20 through really 23. And everything in between is kind of filler and, and, you know, wacky adventures. And, like I said, when Carlin's writing it, relatively fun wacky adventures, but also meaningless wacky adventures. If this was something that Byrne initially thought of as a, this will revitalize the thing and make it seem like a book that counts, it the opposite effect happens. It feels very disconnected and very like, uh, this is okay, I guess, sure? Which is kind of a problem for the series. The story gets set up in issue 11, which reveals that Ben is now in Battleworld. At the time, no one really knew what Battleworld was. Uh, Secret Wars had just launched uh, uh, that very month. So all you knew was Ben was on this strange patchwork planet. He was human. No one really knew why that was again. But he explains via uh, internal monologue that he has a button that will send him back to Earth when he is ready to go back. But on this planet he can change back and forth between human and the thing form that's great of course the button immediately gets stolen by a dragon because sure why not the dragon takes the button and a pursuing ben to meet the the takers the takers are an alien race who are scavengers who just steal shit and then keep it in a big pile uh, the issue essentially exists to set up the status quo, but it introduces a weird subplot. A subplot that I guess was going to go somewhere and then just didn't. The subplot is this. Ben confronts the takers and says, give me my button back, and they give him the, the device back, and he's fine. But he meets a small alien called uh, Lorna Laurel, and that's a guess because the name is actually spelled L-L-R-R-L-L-L-N-N-L-L-Y-R-R-L. You know, I'm guessing it's Lorna Laurel. Who can even tell? Anyway, Lorna Laurel has had something else taken from her by the takers. She doesn't really explain what it is, but for the next 10 issues, it will cut back 
to the takers looking for what it is and saying, is this it? And she's like, no, 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 that's not it. And it's a weird comedy bit that isn't funny and leads to a really surreal, pointless denouement at the end of this this storyline. It's also one of the few continuing narratives through these issues. So it's important for that reason. But at the same time, what the hell is going on? I have no idea. From there, you go to issues 12 and 13. And these complete the setup for the rest of the, the run. Ben meets... If you could imagine space-age Red Sonia, but she's supernaturally tall. She's called Tariana, and she is one of a warrior race who are fighting back against an evil wizard. And guess what? The evil wizard turns out to be giant Doctor Doom. That's right, Doctor Doom, but he's giant. He's not Doctor Doom, as is revealed by the end of issue 13. And what actually has happened is, according to, to these issues, Doom, who as the readers will know, was part of Secret Wars, created a fake version of Doomstadt, his home city, populated by super tall beings, somehow, for some reason. Short version is, Tariana decides that Ben is honourable and a hero, and decides that she will travel with him, even though Ben doesn't really know where he's travelling. He's not travelling to somewhere, he's just going through the stories. So, by the end of issue 13, you have two narratives going on. You have the A-plot of Ben and Tariana, or Tari as he calls her, going through battle worlds and having wacky adventures. And you have a B-plot of every now and again you will see the Takers presenting an object to Lorna Laurel and saying, is this what we took from you? And she will say no. And that's as far as it will go. These two things will kind of converge at the end, but also really won't. And is the fact that they don't, the fact that they they seem like they're going somewhere, or the fact that they seem as if they could be going somewhere, let's put it that way, and ultimately don't, is one of the ways that you can tell this storyline just lost its way remarkably quickly and, and remarkably badly. It really is a, a mess of a 12-issue arc, because it's not really an arc. It's a status quo change that goes nowhere, ultimately. And for all the attempts to wring the melodrama out of it, and, and for Byrne to to really try and, you know, this counts, this, this is really important. And he really does. By the time you get to the end of it, as, as I'll explain, you know, he's he's going all out there to make this matter. It It doesn't. And it doesn't in a way that the book will accidentally contradict super quickly. But looking back at it from today, it seems like the weirdest the weirdest era of the Thing series. And such a wasted opportunity. Ben Grimm in space. Even the, the title, the Rocky Grimm Space Ranger, sounds fun in a way that these issues just aren't. These issues are not fun. These issues are... Are, are missed opportunities, full of missed opportunities. The closest they get to being good is when it's Mike Carlin and, and Ron Wilson and Joe Sinnott producing what is essentially a substandard but okay thing book. But but when it's Byrne and Wilson, it's it really is kind of depressingly bland and depressingly boring. By the end of issue 13, like I said, we have our, our status quo moving forward and Byrne is gone. 
Burnham's gone by the end of issue 13, leaving Carlin to take over. Issue 14 is a very slight story. Ben discovers a crashed alien spaceship, takes it back to where it came from, and helps the aliens who had crashed the spaceship learn how to be essentially fighter pilots. It plays out Ben's fighter pilot past, he's super excited, but then ultimately it's like, ah, what can you do? These are aliens, they're not going to be my old buddies, I'm moving on. Issue 15, Ben, <laughs> issue 15 is the issue I read when I was a kid that I was like, this is great, and it's, ki it's kind of great in a really shitty way. The, the plot is essentially... Ben and Tariana come across an alien bar, which is on the alien Yancey Street, and Ben gets in a bar fight that goes badly, and <laughs> the alien Yancey Street is as shitty to him as the, the human, as the Earth Yancey Street, and it's a fun gimmick, it's a dumb gimmick, but it, it works. It works in a way that the other stories don't, I guess. Issue 16, Ben and Tariana are separated for the first time, but not the last time in these arcs, and Ben discovers that he can't change into the thing at some point. Uh, this is actually an important issue because it introduces a ro mysterious robot figure who will later become the big bad of this arc. And it also introduces Ben being unable to turn into thing, which is the first time he's like, oh, wait, I thought I could do this on this planet. I... I this, this is why I stayed, because I can transform between the two. And it in in making him unable to turn into Thing, it introduces the idea that him being Thing is actually much more important to him than he thought. That That's something that really plays into the, the end game of this arc, just as much as the robed figure does. Uh, the robed figure, spoilers, will turn out to be the most ridiculous villain for this arc. I don't even know if this is what Carlin was intending at the time. Things don't end well, just put it that way. Issue 17. Uh, ben is trying to find Tari and he has to fight, quote-unquote, the Reckoner to save her. Uh, the, the mysterious roped figure is behind it because, of course, the mysterious roped figure, now an issue old, is, is the mover and shaker by this point. Uh, ben gets blinded while fighting the Reckoner. And it turns out that when he once again can become the thing and, and goes all out and, and attacks this character, there is no Reckoner. It was Tariana all along and he just didn't know because he was blind. I mean, he regains her, his sights. He's beaten the shit out of her. Tragedy. And you'd think this would impact the characters moving forward and it really doesn't. Um, it's cheap pathos and it, it goes nowhere and it, it's it's a missed opportunity. Like so much of this arc, honestly. Issue 18. Uh, ben and Ari are, are now reunited and they become a family unit in more ways than one. Uh, they discover a kid. They, they, they discover a baby that they take care of and they decide that they're going to try and return him to wherever he came from. As this is going on, the mysterious robe figure attacks in a, a by sending uh, minions, by sending winged minions after them. And in trying to defend the baby, Tariana gets kidnapped because, again, the two of them get separated. By this point, Ben has quasi-romantic feelings towards Tariana. It's never quite uh, expressed in, in a clear enough way, I guess, to, to really earn that. But she gets kidnapped. Ben 
returns the baby to the city he came from. It turns out the baby is, is meant to become the king. Everyone's very happy. But we end the issue with Ben essentially being like, sure, I'm sure I'm a hero. I saved the baby, but I couldn't save Tariana, who was gone. She she has vanished by this point. So she'll show up again in issue 20, but for issue 19, we actually covered this back in Backs Building episode 30. It's a crossover issue with Fantastic Four 274. The short version is, it's Ben versus classic Hollywood monsters. Uh, it's it's a dumb story. It is, however, uh, John Byrne back as writer after all this time. He's, he's been gone for a few issues. Mike Carlin, interestingly enough, moved from becoming the writer of this book to becoming the editor. He was also editing Fantastic Four at the time, which might explain why Byrne ended up coming back uh, on the title. But for Byrne's return issue, sure, it's a crossover with Fantastic Four, but it's it's possibly the most pointless and boring of the entire Rocky Grimm issues, which is saying a lot. Issues 20, 21, and 22 are the the trilogy that make up the final chapters of Rocky Grimm Space Ranger proper. And, oh boy, is there a lot in there to unpack. After numerous issues of teasing who is this mysterious roped figure he seems to know ben really well issues 20 and 21 play with this idea a lot and in a couple of actually quasi interesting ways tariana has been kidnapped by this roped figure who taunts her and eventually reveals by the end of issue 20 that he's ben grimm issue 21 however shows ben put together all the pieces and wonderfully come to the wrong conclusion, but a really logical conclusion, which is, oh, someone's been fucking with me all this time? It's Reed Richards. Because Reed's a dick, and and Reed's the only guy who knows me this well. So it's Reed. I don't know why Reed's doing it, but it's Reed. Reed is the guy who's fucking with me. As this happens, the book makes one of, of many cheats, really, which is... The, the evil Ben Grimm is not really Ben Grimm. The evil Ben Grimm, it's revealed, was created by Battleworld. Uh, by this point, it's reaching the end of the Secret Wars title, and Shooter has kind of laid down a lot of the ground rules of Battleworld a lot more than he had at the start. In the first few episodes of, of this storyline, it is suggested that Ben is in control of the planet that Ben's thoughts are directly responsible for creating the environs around him. Secret Wars doesn't really do that. Secret Wars suggests, and in fact, it says, that Battleworld is made up of other planets, pieces of other planets that the Beyond are brought together. The end of Secret Wars then posits that essentially the planet becomes a piece of magical thinking. That there is uh, a sort of wish fulfillment element as a, uh, after the the battle is over, uh, as a result of the Beyonder granting wishes, and that could kind of tie into what is going on with Ben and the idea that Ben is controlling it. But what instead Burns suggests is that the planet responded to Ben's subconscious, and Ben's constant. Am I Ben Grimm? Am I the thing? Created another Ben Grimm who would pretty much just try and solve the problem by killing the real Ben Grimm. By tormenting him 
and then ultimately killing him. It's a nice idea, but what is then done with that idea doesn't really reflect Burns' intent. Long story short, Ben attempts to confront who he thinks is Reed by breaking into a fake Baxter building that is, that is suddenly shown up. He still thinks Reed, and the Baxter building attacks him. The, the building itself actually attacks him, and, and Ben is left comatose at the feet of the other, of, of the evil Ben Grimm, of the, the Ben doppelganger. The final issue of the storyline reveals the origins of, of, of fake Ben who torments real Ben and is ultimately uh, revealed to... It's, it's fake Ben, it's evil Ben who has been creating everything else. It's never been real Ben. Real Ben, he suggests, created nothing on Battleworlds. None of it comes from, from real Ben's subconscious. It all came from, from evil Ben's attempts to torment him. The one thing that suggests this isn't true is that Tariana kills fake Ben, uh, which leads real Ben to think, oh... I created Tariana. Tariana came from my subconscious. And there, there's some evidence that he's right in that when fake Ben dies, everything that fake Ben created, i.e. everything on Battleworld, vanishes. Tariana doesn't. Tariana vanishes slightly later when Ben realizes that he has created her. So so there is an argument that Tariana it is purely the creation of, of Ben, and in fact, the only thing Ben actually created on Battleworld. Things get weird here. Byrne suggests that because, because Tariana, the product of real Ben's subconscious, killed fake Ben, then Ben has killed his human side. That's actually bullshit. <laughs> because Ben's... Evil Ben was not Ben's human side. It was a fake alternate being created by Battleworld. Nonetheless, because Ben believes this, the theory then goes, as, as is suggested in issue 23, which is an epilogue after Ben returns to Earth, that because Ben believes that his human side is dead, he can no longer turn back into his human self. The idea being, as presented in issue 23, that Ben has always had the ability to transform between human Ben and thing Ben. But his subconscious wouldn't let him. He, he did not feel, he felt that he was a monster and therefore he couldn't transform. And at any point where he, he thought that he could transform something, his love for Alicia, his fear that Alicia wouldn't love him when he was human, something would hold him back. According to the, the, the presentation of issue 23, uh, Ben can't... Ben, while nothing physical has happened to Ben to make him lose this, this power, it's, it's null and void because his human side is dead, which is just crazy bullshit psychobabble. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things that only makes sense because the writer is like, well, it's really important because... Because if Ben always had that power... There's still nothing to stop him going, but that wasn't actually my human side, that was an alien. I'm just going to turn back into human, or at least try and see what happens. But no, Ben immediately assumes, well, my human side is dead. Uh, I have destroyed it through Tariana, who was created by my subconscious. I have killed my human side. I am now the thing forever. Ever and ever, I'll never be able to turn back. So, yeah, that's fun. 
I said before that the Lorne Laurel subplot continues throughout this entire thing and kind of connects and kind of doesn't. So here's the other thing that is absolutely crazy about the end of the storyline. You discover what her missing object is in issue 20. And what it is, is it's an Ultron head. For people reading Secret Wars, Ultron is essentially extinguished by Galactus in the first issue of the series. Uh, and and rebuilt later, re, re reconstructed later to serve Doom. His head survives, and at some point it was clearly found by Lorne Laurel, who you might think had been cute all this time, but it turns out she is somehow the devotee of a death cult of Ultron. <laughs> so she gets it back, and then because of the the magical thinking powers of Battle Worlds, which are now apparent in part because Jim Shooter has finally invented them. Ultron then declares war on every living thing on Battleworld and launches his war by creating a, an army of minions, an army of robot minions, and killing Lorne Laurel. And then going, that's it, I'm, I'm going to kill everyone. But before that goes anywhere, fake Ben is killed, and it's then revealed that everything apart from Ultron's head was the result of fake Ben's machinations and it all disappears and Ultron goes back to being an inactive head. The inactive head is discovered by the real Ben after the death of Tariana and fake Ben. He picks it up, he presses the button and he leaves the planet and the planet's battle world collapses, falls apart altogether because theoretically no one is left living on the planet. Again, that doesn't make sense because of the way the Secret Wars works. Because Secret Wars showed that there really are other living people on the planet. Not everyone got home. So, huh? Yeah, Rocky Grimm Space Ranger is a very, very strange run of issues. It, it's 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 a very... Uh, I, was, I would say ambitious if it wasn't for the fact that it's so lazy. But I think they were trying to do something different. Their version of different included, a, you know, an alternative to good. But there's something to like about it, maybe. I'm, and yet, it's it's hard to like. It's no secret that I like trashy books, for one of a better way of putting it. I love Micronauts. You know, I I I, I love a certain brand of, um shitty Marvel, not even Marvel Cosmic, but the, the, the weird space between Marvel Cosmic and Marvel Superhero. And theoretically, the Rocky Grimm Space Ranger issue should be right there, should be that sweet spot. And there is something perversely... Uh, so there's something perverse about the refusal to actually occupy that space in these issues. As if Byrne is like, I'm going to do something so different that no one's going to see it coming. And he forgets to actually come up with anything while he's so busy avoiding the tropes. Uh, Carlin, as I said, his issues are better because he kind of embraces the tropes. You know, it's Alien Yancey Street. It's Ben being a fighter pilot again. Those, those say something about the character. Those say something about the the series and... and, and actually comment on Ben and their fun ideas and and you know there's something much more interesting about reading that than there is about and for some reason it's Frankenstein 
and he's on this alien planet, and Ben is fighting him, I guess, oh look, it's Dracula. Or there's this mysterious robed figure who has kidnapped people because he's actually Ben Grimm, but he's not Ben Grimm, he's a clone of Ben Grimm, who's not really a clone, but somehow magical witch fulfillment, who it represents the human side of Ben Grimm, even though he doesn't really. You know, it's it's much muddier. The, the, the burn issues are much muddier and much more incoherent. I kind of feel like there's snarkiness to say, well, just like the Fantastic Four issues by the time he leaves. But this is far messier. This is a much, much messier, uh, much more incoherent, much more unfocused uh, space than, than he ever got to with Fantastic Four. This, this is the worst case scenario of, of the Fantastic Four burn and it's it's such a shame because as i said there there i really think there is a lot of potential for ben Grimm in space and i think there's a lot of potential for ben is able to explore being human and and it's not carried out in these issues which is it's, it really is a, a shame ben deserves better for want of a better way of putting it and yet all he gets is this so yeah, that's that's the thing. Issues eleven through twenty three. Uh, like I said, twenty three, he gets back to Earth. He confronts the Fantastic Four, and he leaves the team permanently because, in his eyes, he's been betrayed. Because Reed knew that he could transform back to human at all any time, and didn't tell him. And now his human side is dead forever. Even though spoilers, he becomes human again in two issues, <laughs> but dead forever. Sure, definitely. Yeah, um, Ben really did deserve better than this. And and the readers deserve better. And in the weirdest way, Secret Wars kind of deserved better than having this as an epilogue. All around, it's it's a waste of, of time and space and, and everyone's talents. I may or may not have said this on a former Wait Water or former Vax building. I found all these issues for like a dollar each. And I was like, this will be great. I, I love these things. No, if, you, if you're dollar diving and you find these issues for a dollar each, stay away, friends. Stay away. They're not worth the money. At some point, they're going to show up on Marvel Unlimited because I think Marvel will just run out of everything else to put up there. And you can enjoy them for yourselves. Enjoy, in quotation marks. But for now, all you really need to know is Ben stayed behind on Battleworld and it did not go well. He comes back and because it didn't go well, he leaves the team. That's it. That's all you really need to know. The less charitable amongst you, not myself, I'm incredibly charitable, I want to point out, would say that between The Thing issue 23 and FF 296, which is when Ben rejoins the team, uh, and we're about to cover in the next Baxter building, the less charitable would say, it's a bit of a mess and there's no clear direction. And I say no. No. Mike Carlin, who's writing the remainder of the Thing series, has an idea of what he's wanting to do. And to some degree accomplishes it. The problem being the degree to which he does it isn't necessarily very good. Ben actually appears in two books during the... It, it's essentially two years that Ben is out of the Fantastic Four title. He is in the remaining issues of The Thing, which goes from issues 24 through 36. And he also appears in a bunch of West Coast Avengers that we'll get to. And one of the things that is quite obvious from reading these books now, and reading them in a in a bunch, you're reading them at, at 
all at one time, like I did, is that there was a direction that people thought they were taking this character, and then that changed. And I don't know if that changed because John Byrne, who was writing FF at the time, thought, oh, I want the character back after all, or if it was always intended to be this way, and the the switch came because it happened sooner or because the thing title was wrapping up earlier than than expected. It's a strange read. It, it's a very frustrating read, but not in the same way that the thing was when he was on Battleworld. These issues are actually better than the Rocky Grimm Space Ranger issues. It's just that you have to have a very particular <laughs> um, sense of what you like from Marvel Comics to enjoy them. If, for example, you really liked Team America and you like wrestling, you'll love these issues. If you like coherent plot development and setups for things that pay off later, maybe not so much. And that's kind of the problem. We don't actually get to Ben's new situation for a couple of issues. The Thing issue 24 is uh, kind of a filler issue, despite the fact it's by the regular team of Carlin and Wilson. Ben is at a loose end after leaving the Fantastic Four and tries to go back to Project Pegasus. He runs into Miracle Man, not the Alan Moore version, the, the Marvel villain of the same name, and Rhino, there's a fight, Project Pegasus is essentially like, we're kind of shutting down, we have no use for you, I'm sure you can find something else to do. He can't. Issue 25, issue 25 is kind of hilarious. You may or may not remember that the whole point of the Rocky Grimm Space Ranger story in the end was that Ben had killed his human self and he would never be able to turn human again. Funny story, in issue 25 he turns human again. <laughs> and and this doesn't seem to be a thing. He doesn't seem to go, oh I thought I couldn't do this anymore. He, It just happens. Well it doesn't just happen. He turns human because of course he meets some leprechauns who magically turn him human again. I think that really tells you all you need to know about the story. By the end of it, he he's back to being the thing. Uh, the leprechauns have fucked off. There's a funny thing in the end of it, which is he sees the Baxter building fly into space, which happens, uh, we covered it in Baxter building issue 31, or episode 31. And it's because Doctor Doom has launched the Baxter building into space as part of its revenge. Ben sees it fly into space, and his response is just like, oh, okay, I, I guess the Fantastic Four are doing something. Well, okay, good luck to them, I guess. And that's it. It's not, he isn't worried. He, isn't, he doesn't care particularly, which I think is a really funny moment. It ties in with the FF without really tying in with the FF. The next stage of Ben's life and of the thing as a book uh, starts with issue 26, which does a couple of interesting and weird things. Uh, first of all, it introduces a new supporting cast member, Vance Astrovic who people may or may not know, will later become Justice, and is also the alternate Earth version of Vance Astrovic from the original Guardians of the Galaxy. At this point, he's kind of just a, a shitty kid, which is kind of great, and a very bad influence on Ben, which is also great. Something the book does from this point onwards, really, is show that Ben... Ben's a great guy. Ben, ben is, is is very loyal and defends the, the defenseless. But Ben also is kind of rudderless and Ben kind of needs 
an outside influence to sort of push him in particular directions. Vance is a terrible outside influence, but it's a funny thing to see Carlin and and the book recognize that Ben left his own devices, doesn't really know what to do. So Vance convinces Ben that really he should be doing something with his life. That's not entirely clear what he wants to do, however, until he sees Tariana, the fictional woman from Battleworld, who was suddenly alive and on Earth. But what is what is happening? Across issues 27 and 28, you, you find out what is going on. And it's it's a great reveal. Tariana isn't Tariana at all. She's Sharon Ventura, who will later show up in, in FF as, as a character. Um, she's a stunt woman who is trying to join the Thunder Riders. Thunder Riders, people may or may not remember, are Team America, the 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 1980s series that I think was a toy tie-in. I think that's why it was never called Team America again. They were always called the Thunder Riders. But they are a group of mutants who are all motorcycle stuntmen whose mutant power wonderfully, is that they can all merge together to make one greatest motorcyclist. (laughs) It's the dumbest power. They're kind of a stupid concept of a team. But Sharmanjur is is trying out to join them. And Ben decides that he's got a great idea. He's going to join the Thunder Riders as well. And that way he'll get to hang out with Sharon. And that way he'll get to know her. And they can fall in love. And it will all be perfect. There's only one problem, that by the end of issue 28, when, when he has been accepted into the Thunder Riders, he learns that he's joined the team and they've accepted him, because Sharon's already gone. <laughs> Sharon's moved on, and Ben is just kind of of the, well, fuck, of, of course that's the way it works. Now I belong to these dumb motorcycle bozos and the woman of my dreams, who, by the way, I've still not really talked to, <laughs> but the woman of my dreams has already left. My life sucks. If you're thinking, how long can Ben stay a member of a motorcycle gang? The answer is, really not long at all. He joins at the end of issue 28, and he leaves at the beginning of issue 29. The only real uh, long-term fallout from this is, Ben has a motorbike, which is apparently specially reinforced, which makes sense, because Ben is is apparently ridiculously heavy and, and, and a big rock guy. But yeah, he leaves because he is going to follow Sharon, he's decided. And that takes him to the Unlimited Class Wrestling Foundation, where Sharon is... I don't even think she's... I can't remember. I don't think she's actually trying out at this point. But she's she's hooked up with the group somehow. But it is, for people who may or may not remember this from Marvel, it's a superpowered wrestling league. Uh, and this is where... For fans of the Captain America character D-Man, this is where uh, Dennis Dumphy first appears. He he shows up in Thing Twenty Eight for the first time, and long story short, the Thing joins a wrestling league, which I kind of love as the status quo for the book and for the character until the series ends. He joins in Twenty Eight, and he's there until Thirty Six. I said before that it seemed like Carlin was trying to do something. With, with the book. And what he's trying to do, t- to my eyes, is not only show that Ben kind of needs a, a, a structure around him to, to operate, that Ben, ben left to his own devices doesn't really know what to do, but also, I kind of love that Ben gravitates towards showbiz, but not mainstream showbiz. Kind of a, a, a fringe 
show business that is more accepting of quote-unquote freaks. So he, he becomes part of the, the motorcycle performance group. And then he becomes part of the wrestling league. But the wrestling league that is made up of superpowered freaks, for want of a better way of putting it. And he's accepted there, which I love. Dennis Dunphy and he become good friends. And, and by the end of the series, D-Man has kind of gone from being not necessarily sort of a shitty character, but from from someone who only cares about himself to someone who cares for others. And, and that really lays the groundwork, I think, for, for his later appearances in Captain America. It's not really worth laying out the plots of what happens, really, for for the rest of, of the series, because a lot of them is literally, The Thing has a wrestling match with so-and-so, and he wins. Uh, the Thing is wrestling with his conscience, and, you know, the Gator, or blah 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 man. It's It's a weird time for the series in terms of the A plots, but there's there's some really interesting stuff happening with the B plots during all of this. So while Ben is wrestling and winning and generally having a good time, although enjoyably certainly through the whole thing, other things are going on. One of the first things that happens is that you discover that Sharon is actually in love with Ben, or or at least is into Ben. The relationship is a very interesting, weird one through the run of the book. To say Sharon is somewhat um, unclear about her feelings towards Ben is being charitable. She is written as as either disinterested or suddenly very interested, or maybe she's uncertain that she's not worth Ben's attentions yada 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 and it's i'm not sure if it's meant to be that we're seeing what ben sees and therefore we're as uncertain or if carlin really is not very good at mapping this out convincingly or for that matter didn't really know where he was going with the storyline but yeah sharon, sharon comes and goes however one of the things that happens is that sharon does decide uh, that she would like to join the unlimited class wrestling foundation herself but of course she has no superpowers this becomes this is a B plot that, that becomes the A plot towards the end of the series, which is essentially Sharon decides that she would like superpowers. And she goes to the power broker, who, unless I am entirely misremembering, also is responsible for giving the black cat her powers. Uh, but she's going to the power broker to get powers. I mentioned the black cat getting powers and Sharon's plot in many ways is a retread of that plot from Spider-Man. I think it was in Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. There is a, a sameness to what happens with the storyline in these issues, in large part because it really seems like Carlin's literally just retreading the Black Cat plot. To cut a surprisingly long story short, she gets superpowers, she becomes the new Ms. Marvel. This is actually where the series leaves her, because just after she gets the powers, it is revealed that the power broker has essentially taken control of everyone who has, who he's given powers to, by convincing them that they need to take a particular supplement slash drug in order to maintain the powers, or else the powers are going to hurt them and or kill them. Turns out, it's not kill, it's just hurt. Dennis Dunphy, as I said, is one of these characters and he's the first one to come through the withdrawal syndromes. And it turns out he still has these powers. It, it's all been a, a big trick that the power broker has been doing to control people. However, the power broker's goons come after Sharon anyway and Sharon and Ben are forced to, to fight them off. This comes to a head 
at a time when another subplot comes to a head, which is starting with issue 31, Ben starts feeling dizzy or has headaches and is clearly mutating over the course of a few issues. In, I think, issue 35, he talks about the fact that he is he's physically bigger. His costume is no longer fitting in the same way that it was before. And... This and this, the Power Broker subplot both come to a head in the final issue of the series, issue 36, where it is revealed that Sharon has her powers, the Power Broker's goons come after her, and they realise they've all been tricked and that they are not actually having to take the, the pills in order to keep their powers. But but Ben freaks out and his, his, his body starts mutating rapidly and in a way that we don't actually see. We see... Essentially, his rocks come off, what looks like purple boils come through the rocks, but everything else happens in shadows. It at first drives Ben insane, and he starts attacking everyone. And then he's rushed to the hospital, and when he comes to in the hospital, he decides that he's a monster, and he has to get away from everyone. And he leaves the hospital, while, of course, Sharon, aka Ms. Marvel, and She-Hulk are fighting at the front because they're both trying to defend Ben, honestly. But which one really defends Ben? It's that sort of a story. Ben leaves. Ben goes to the water and says, Oh, I, I, I know of a place where I, sh- I should go. I know of a place for monsters. And disappears. And that is the end of the series. It's not the last time that you see Ben for a while, though. Even though we're still four months away from Ben reappearing in Fantastic Four 296, Ben shows up the next month in West Coast Avengers number 10. And Ben has actually been a, a cast member of West Coast Avengers since issue 4 of that series. And one of the the themes of those early issues of West Coast Avengers is, will Ben join the team? He it shows up initially because his bike is broken down. And he, he's essentially like, hey, you guys, my bike's broken down. Do you want to give me a hand? But he hangs around. And, and this is Steve Englehart and Al Milgram are responsible for the book at this point. And Ben likes the West Coast Avengers. And the West Coast Avengers like Ben. They are of a similar laid-back, not-taking-superheroing-too-seriously mindset. And so Ben unofficially helps out the team on a number of adventures and repeatedly says, I'm, I'm not a member of the team, I'm not a member of the team. And Hawkeye continually says, just join, just come on, just join the team. It'll be great. We get on, you're a great guy, you're a member of the Fantastic Four, just join the team, it'll be so good. Issue 9 ends with Ben agreeing to join the team. And for that matter, the, the next issue uh, blurb says Ben joins the team. And issue 10 starts with him having vanished just before his his joining team is is going to be announced to the world what has been happening and and is never quite stated outright but when you read the two books it's clear what's been happening is ben has been hiding his headaches his dizzy spells and his his the changes in his body his mutations from the rest of the team and issue 35 and 36 of The Thing happen between West Coast Avengers 9 and 10. And he has vanished. And so you see in issue 10 of West Coast Avengers, the team looking for him. And Ben trying to escape in disguise. You actually see them pass Ben at one point, And Ben is clearly hiding from them. The issue ends with Ben confronting the West Coast Avengers. And, and saying... I have to go and you have you have to trust me. I, I can't be a member of the team. Something's going on. I've got to take care of it. I'm really sorry, but I have to go. And because it's Engelhart and because it's West Coast Avengers, they're like, yeah, go, Ben, you can do it. Yeah, we've got your back. 
And that is the end you see of Ben Grimm for three months. I said this on the Tumblr, and wait, what, Tumblr at some point, but um, when you see Ben in Fantastic Four 296, three months later, all of his mutation is gone. He looks like the thing again. And even though the dialogue talks about him being a monster now, he doesn't look like it. And and the fact that you didn't see Ben in The Thing issue 36, and you don't actually see Ben in West Coast Avengers 10 either, because he is wearing a disguise. He's wearing a hat and sunglasses and a scarf and a big coat. You never get to see what this mutated version of Ben looked like. He does look different. It's clear in 36. He does look different. It's clear in The Thing Issue 36 that something has happened to mutate him more than we've ever seen. But you never see what it is, and that plot has been entirely dropped by the time that you get to FF296 and he reappears. So what is left is this. For the, you know, two years, 18 months between Ben leaving the team and rejoining the team in Fantastic Four, he kind of goes into showbiz. And he's kind of happy, if surly, about it. And then he mutates. His, his body betrays him and he has to leave. Given what has happened in the Thing book until this point, and particularly the Rocky Grimm Space Ranger storyline and what he learned there, it's really strange to think that we have been told as readers that Ben is in control of his body and Ben is in control of his transformations. And it's only when he finds, it's only when he finds a purpose outside the Fantastic Four that he mutates again and he mutates into more of a monster and and there is a a reading that is at once supported by the text and not actually stated that Ben's subconscious will not let him be happy away from the Fantastic Four and as soon as he gets to think that he's happy as soon as he gets to think that he he could find a life outside of the Fantastic Four his subconscious destroys that by, by forcing a mutation, by forcing a change. Because he believes, on some level, that he is the thing of the Fantastic Four and that's where he belongs. I think I'm being, as I said, really charitable towards the, the book when, when I say that. I don't think that's necessarily what Carlin had in mind. Engelhardt is just long for the ride. Engelhardt's intentions, to be honest, are, are kind of by the by here. But at some point... Byrne, who I think... Byrne was definitely still in charge of the book. Was still in charge of the Fantastic Four, I should say. When the Thing series ends. So Byrne presumably just pulled rank and said, I want Ben back. And and the Thing were, were ending anyway. So they decided this is the route they're taking. It's a shame. There, there, there's, there's some interesting stuff to be read into this last year or so of the Thing series. But... Yeah, not great comics. Uh, if there's a, a a whole theme to be learned through the Thing Solo series, is that they're not great comics. They're fun comics often. They're they're worth reading if you're a fan of the character, but they're not something that that you'd be like, yeah, you should really hunt those down. They're a forgotten gem. That nonetheless is where we leave Ben Grimm for now, escaping an okay but not great series. His body betraying him, whether consciously, subconsciously, or what quite the creators had in mind, we don't really know. Because as I said, when he appears next, a lot of the I'm mutating plot will just be gone. But yeah, we leave him going to find a new home for monsters, which is where we're going to pick up with the next Baxter building. Hi, it's me again, contemporary me, not the me who was just doing that other stuff. 
I've been reading a lot of old Legion of Superhero comics recently, and trust me, this is going somewhere. There was a point where the what used to be the main Legion series suddenly became a secondary book because they'd launched like a higher profile and, and more expensive series. And then they started reprinting issues of the, the more expensive book in, in the original series. That's what I'm reminded of right now because I just left out going, oh, and this is where we're going to pick up in the Baxter building. And we've picked up in the Baxter building. We did that a while ago. So the episode, if you're following along with us and going, oh, where did it go next? The episode you're looking for is Baxter building episode 33. That one up in September, which gives you an idea of how old these episodes are. Anyway, that's the Baxter Bungalow. Again, I hope everyone who hadn't heard it before enjoyed it. I hope everyone who had heard it before is happy with it the second time around or probably skipped it out together. I don't know what to tell you. We will be back uh, next week with a new episode of Wait What? And given everything that's been happening in the comics industry lately, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Anyway, once again, happy holidays, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode.